Hey, I feel a bit rusty, I reckon, being up here. I haven't shared God's Word for... I was trying to think the other day, is it three years or two years? Wow, must have been desperate. (laughs) Must have been an empty spot they couldn't fill. (laughs) But hopefully it goes all right. Um, So I'll I'll get your opinion on that in about 35 minutes' time. What do you reckon? (laughs) Um, This morning, I want to do a couple of different things that are a little bit out of the box. So, are you with me so far? I'm going to reminisce about a trip I took earlier on this year, uh, and I'll explain why I'm going to reminisce in a moment. I've got some some really uh, interesting slides from there, and uh, and then I'm going to talk a little bit about the church, uh, some of the things that I learned over there about church growth, church planting, and how to really expand the kingdom of God. And, uh, and then we're going to spend time praying for our community. So you're up for that? Yeah. All right, seven of you are up for that. That's awesome. <laughs> the rest of you are just going to be cruising, watching everyone else pray for it, right? <laughs> no, we'll break up into groups and we'll pray for our community because, uh, as we'll see this morning, uh, God wants to do some good stuff. Amen. All right, so title of the message officially is Ecclesia. I've got way too many slides. Apologies for that in advance. Um, I work with the Churches of Christ uh, during the week and uh, every year or so they take a team over to India and Indonesia to look at different ways of church planting to find out how uh, locals in those communities are planting churches and what we can learn and then what we can bring back to Australia and, uh, and, uh, and then use to grow the kingdom here. Uh, and so there was three different, uh, three different scenarios and if you could put the next slide up, that'd be great. So India, there we go, went to... Um, obviously all of the all of the great places and maybe another one there there we go we had to we had to come in as tourists because if we went in as religious workers uh, or put that on our visa application it'd be declined so there's uh, quite a bit of persecution that's subtle against Christians I um, heard the story of one person who was on a train talking to a colleague about uh, a school that he was on the board of it was a Christian school um, there was a person on the carriage as well, it was like a sleeper carriage, um, asked a few questions about it, got his name. Uh, next time his visa was declined, couldn't get back into India. Interesting, isn't it? But uh, we, so I won't mention the organisation that we went to India with, uh, but it's a, it's a, it's a great organisation that uh, has a goal of planting 100,000 churches in India. Now, 100,000 churches is a lot, isn't it, in Australia's context. In Indian context, that might not even scratch the surface. But they've done 30,000 so far, and with the pastors they currently have in training, they'll make 100,000 by 2028. Isn't that amazing? That is awesome. So what's a church look like in in their context? Well, um, you become a pastor in training, which is a two-year journey. Uh, You can't be recognised as a pastor until you've led 12 people to the Lord and baptised them. So, obviously, churches will have at least 12 people in them, uh, probably many more, maybe 100, 200, 300, because as they, as they grow, they obviously expand, more and more people join. Um, so, when you do the maths on that, 100,000 churches by maybe 100 people, that gets exciting. I mean, I get passionate about that. Pastors uh, require $180 a month to live. $180 a month, that's not much, is it? Like, I reckon I would spend that in coffees. And that speaks to our priorities, doesn't it, in a big way? Because every time I have a coffee, I now feel convicted. Hate that. Hate conviction. But God, it's so good. You love it and you hate it all at the same time. 
So, uh, so from there we went to um, uh, Jakarta and, uh, and then to a, a Bible college in um, central Java. So I'll look at a little bit of that in a moment. Um, so uh, next slide, please. Met some amazing people. Uh, the person on the right I, was near the Sikh palace. Uh, the kids on the left were from a snake charmer's village. There was uh, a, a snake charmer that came to Christ uh, and the village was very poor. Had no, they were all outcasts, the lowest caste you could imagine, in fact, without caste. And, um, and so there was no support, no love for them, no anything for them. Really, they were just an inconvenience. Uh, the snake charmer came to Christ and thought, maybe I could, I could do this to raise funds for our village. So the village came to Christ as a result of it. Uh, a school was set up, Snake Charming Village, the, the, the people who were trained there would go out to all of the different sort of markets and things like that, raise up funds, started a school, kids get educated, their whole circumstances are lifted. Isn't that amazing what the gospel can do? So there's the kids on the left. Next one. Yes, the culture. Wow. And, yeah, and you can go to the next one. Just immersed ourselves in the culture. That's a water tap that I plan not to drink out of. Because if I did, I would have gone to the next spot there. And then the next spot is a research hospital. And you don't want to go there either, right? I mean, there are just some places you want to steer clear of. So it all starts at the water tap. Don't drink the water. <laughs> Otherwise, you end up in trouble. Uh, okay, what have we got? What's the next one there? All right, so this is the graduation ceremony for the first-year pastors. Isn't that exciting? So coming out of a predominantly Hindu culture, many of them uh, were Hindus. Uh, they don't know what Christian life looks like. So for one year, they train them in what Christian ethics and morals and values are. And uh, there's a bit of Bible in there. So, for, you know, probably in the last, last three or four or five months, they, they do Bible study. But predominantly to start with, it's all about culture and what it means to be a Christian. Uh, and you can go to the next one as well. And that's the graduation ceremony. So we were ministering at that. The guys on the left, the ladies on the right... Uh, never the two shall meet, right? There's always that, that middle line um, because uh, purity is very important in, in the Indian culture. Uh, so we'd be much more casual and relaxed about it here, but over there, obviously, very formal. Uh, and so they would go from there back into their communities and there were some amazing stories. You know, I, I, I praise God for the gift of tongues because when we were praying for them, I couldn't understand them, they couldn't understand me, but I was just trusting that God was doing what God wanted to do. And uh, they were incredibly blessed, actually, so were we. So uh, it was a special time. Uh, anyway, so, so that, was, uh, that was that. Second year pastors, we, we got to minister to uh, at Agra, which is where the Taj Mahal is, and uh, prayed for them. And we were also there with a the team from Red Rocks Church. I don't know if you've heard any of their worship, uh, Red Rocks worship. It's great worship. And we were there with their worship team, which was pretty cool, because when they led the service, we enjoyed it. It was good. <laughs> It was really good. From there, we went to Indonesia, to Salatiga, and we looked at Bible planting, uh, bi yeah, church planting, sorry, uh, from the perspective of Bible college. So they would train up uh, Bible college students and then send them out to plant churches, and they'd planted about uh, 40 so far in the, in the mountain region, not far from where some of the Indonesian um, sort of terror cells were located, uh, which is interesting, only about 30 k's away, but they are slowly transforming this, ho this whole area. And actually, if we can go to the next one, the next slide, there's the, the pastor's house on the right there and uh, the pastor in the middle and the head of the Bible college there on the right. And, um, and the, the pastor realised that he didn't have anything practical to offer the village, so he went away, um, spent time on 
Google and YouTube and everything, learning about agriculture, and then brought that back to the village and trained all of the locals, because he had a computer, trained them how to do agriculture better. So they got much better crop yields, uh, money started flowing into the village, everyone loved him, he was elected mayor of the village, so we've got, this is in now in Indonesia, so we've got a Christian mayor of a Muslim township, right? Doesn't that just blow your head apart? But, uh, but God's good. And so people have come to Christ in that village, churches have been planted, and God is glorified. Isn't that amazing, right, what's going on there? So, and uh, the next one, that's his kitchen on the left, and that's where they sleep on the right. Wow. And the next one, there's the church that's been planted, and there's some of the Bible college students there on the right. Uh, amazing stories, you know, just people who are sold out for Jesus, really cop flack for doing what they're doing so really uh, really respect them and admire them for what they're doing and uh, is there one more there ah okay and i'll come to this in a minute then we went to jakarta wow there's a church there called abelove has anyone ever heard of or been to abelove church in jakarta it's quite a large church it's um it's about twenty-five thousand people uh, and church planting there was a little bit different they they became so big in the, in the city of Jakarta that expanding became a challenge because to expand, you have to get permission of your Muslim neighbours to expand your facilities when you're a church. And, of course, who's going to approve that? So they hit 15,000, came to a roadblock, and then thought, what's next? And so Eddie Leo, the senior minister who um, was the founder of the church, um, spent a couple of days with us. And so he went to prayer and said, God, how do I, how do I move past this hurdle? And God showed him uh, a plan of decentralising the church. So he moved it away from the Sunday service uh, into uh, midweek meetings at homes. And uh, the Sunday service still has 6,000 people a weekend go through there, but they've grown to 25,000, from 15 then to 25,000 as they decentralise. So it's sort of like connect groups, but on steroids, right? So your connect group leaders are officially recognised as pastors. They go through pastoral training, there might be 20 or, five, uh, 20 or 25 people in each house church uh, and they do everything together. They have meals together, they live as a community, they, they get people saved, they you know, share the good news, they do a whole lot of things. It's just so exciting to see what they're doing. This particular uh, photo here is of a Muslim background believer church. So this is Abelove South and uh, all of those people there praying are former Muslims who are now Christians and are transforming their community. It is amazing. So they're praying for us. We're, we're actually kneeling down and getting them to pray for us. The way it happened, and it's an interesting story that's close to home, uh, if you can go to the next slide, the guy on the left there is a guy called Arif. Now, Arif was 17, lived in a, in a Muslim family. His grandfather was an imam and uh, had earmarked him to be an imam, and he was. He became the imam for East Jakarta probably about five million people under his um, supervision, um, imamship, I don't know what you call it. But anyway, that's him. His father used to beat his wife and he would get quite angry at that. So he went to uh, Bali to study law. Now, Bali is the only place in Indonesia where you can study all three types of law uh, in the one place. So there's um, Indonesian civil law, uh, there's international law and there's um, uh, Quranic law or Islamic law. So he went there to study that. He uh, had a fairly active, I wouldn't call it a terror cell, but it might have been called a terror cell, which he used to sell drugs to raise money for so they could buy stuff. 
and uh, cause damage and havoc in the community. Uh, then 9-11 happened and he was arrested and put in prison. So he's in Karabakan prison. And he has visions of Jesus while he's in there. And he, and he thinks it's a demon. He doesn't know it's Jesus at the time. It's a man dressed in white who keeps saying to him, follow me and you'll be free. Four times that happens. Another guy there who's an American guy says, oh, I know, I know what that is. You need to speak to Andrew Chan. So he punches him and says, no way, I'm not speaking to Andrew Chan. Um, but in time, you can see God working on his heart. And so he leaves one part of the prison, which is the Muslim part of the prison, to go to another part of the prison. And he sits down with Andrew Chan. Andrew leads him to the Lord, baptises him in secret. He goes back and he's still the imam of the prison. Right? Is it, so now we've got a Christian imam of the prison. That's amazing. So, so, but his cellmates recognise, or people in that part of the prison recognise something different about him. And so they follow him one day and they see him going into the other part of the prison. They search his cell, they find a Bible. So they beat him within an inch of his life. They thought he was actually dead. Um, one of the guys who he'd befriended was a gangster, really solid sort of gangster dude, um, who just told everyone to back off. And that was the only reason he survived. Um, but then he goes on a discipleship journey with Andrew Chan. And uh, two years later, he's released from prison. So now we have an imam who can preach the gospel from the Quran. He doesn't use a Bible. He uses the Quran to bring people to Christ. It is amazing. They had a thousand baptisms last year of Muslim background believers. And they've converted whole villages out in the, out in the sticks. And it's just amazing what God is doing through Arif. So Arif can't come to Australia because he's got a prison record. I, try, I thought oh, he should come, but no, he can't. Um, but he's translated the Alpha Course into Arabic and, uh, and using that to reach the Muslim people. Isn't that awesome, hey? So God is doing amazing things. Yeah. So that's Arif. So I've got a bit of a man crush on Arif because, <laughs> because he's just sensational. Anyway, <laughs> so thanks for uh, reminiscing with me. Uh, it's amazing. Anyway, so the teaching that, uh, that Eddie Leo uh, unfolded to us as we were sitting around the table in, in his church uh, was uh, his, his thoughts on the church and how it relates uh, in the modern world. Now, he's got an interesting point of view because he comes from a country that's not the West. So we, we exist in our church culture and don't really give it too many thoughts. So someone from the outside looking at our church life has some very interesting insights, and he did for us as well. He said, if you can go to the next one, he said, often we'll consider church in one of three ways. And as he said that, I thought, he's right. The first way is that we'll view it as a supermarket, right? It's a place we go to get all that we need. So to many of us, church will be a super... We mightn't think of it that way, but subconsciously, that's what it is, right? We think of it as a supermarket. And the next slide. We might think of it as a cinema, a place we go to be entertained. Now, we wouldn't consciously admit that, but maybe deep down, that's what we, what we feel. You know, we might come away from a... If we view it that way, we might come away from church thinking, oh, that was a bit boring. It wasn't that good. The worship wasn't that great. You know, the sermon wasn't that good. Hopefully you won't think that this morning. Um, 
But we're, we're viewing it through the lens of entertainment, right? Where we're watching stuff. That's, to some of us, what church is. And then the other one is a service station where you go to get filled up for the week, right? So you go to, you go to church, you get filled up for the week. I can relate to that. That's sometimes how I feel. And uh, we get filled up and then we, we go back to it on Monday. So most of us, or many of us, will think of church in one of those three ways. But that wasn't really what God's plan was, because what is the church? We are the church. When I say to my family, I'm going to church, in my mind, I have a location. In my mind, I have a building. I don't have a body of believers. But that's actually what it is, right? So for me, there was this subtle shift in my thinking, because subconsciously, I'd been thinking about it wrong. And that is quite powerful, actually, when you think, to think about it and you think to outwork it in a particular way. Paul describes church as a temple. And a temple is the place where God lives. So us together here today create an environment where God can dwell. Amen. Isn't that powerful? Wow, that's an in- I wonder which chair he's sitting in. He, he might be over there. I don't know. Maybe, maybe Sonia is sitting next to you in the front row. I, I don't know. But, but it's an amazing thought, isn't it, that we create a place where God dwells. Israel had a temple because God at that time revealed himself through the nation of Israel to the other nations of the world. And he said, hey, a nation committed to me, this is what it looks like. This is, this is, this is what it looks like. So they had a temple where the presence of God dwelt. Then Jesus comes, dies, is crucified, resurrected again. Holy Spirit's given. He lives in each one of us. We become a temple. So God now is living in us and our bodies are a temple. But then also, Paul says, collectively, we are a temple of God. He says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? That's an incredible thought. Now, that doesn't have to be here on Sunday. That could be on Tuesday night or Wednesday night. It could be in your workplace where some of you get together as as believers in Christ and and just spend time fellowshipping together. But one thing I do know that is if you're going to have a temple, there's got to be a builder and someone's got to build it. And then, you know, I mean, I look around. Do we have any tradies here today? Where's where's the tradies? We got any tradies? We've got one tradie, only one tradie, two tradies. Tom, you, you qualify, Tom. Although I haven't yet heard the verse that says your car is a temple. <laughs> That's probably on the racetrack, right? <laughs> but to build a house, you need all sorts of tradies, right? You need, well, you need an architect or a designer to begin with. You need brickies, you need chippies, you need sparkies, anything that ends in a YS. You need them, right? You need plumbers, you need roofers, you need all sorts of concreters. You need a bunch of people with, a, with skill and a number of different trades to come together to build a house so that someone can live in there, right? I've never seen a building site with a pile of bricks just dumped on the site and I say, oh, it's a great house. <laughs> no, it's just a pile of bricks, right? Someone's got to order them according to a plan that's been designed and construct them in a way so that they fit together and they build a shape that eventually becomes a house that someone can live in. All right? You with me so far? All right. That's good. 
So, when it comes to building the temple, we are living stones. I work with someone whose last name is Livingstone. That's ironic, but anyway, that's irrelevant to my sermon this morning. (laughs) We are living stones. Now, just because someone dumps a whole lot of living stones on a building site, it doesn't make it a temple that God can dwell in. Right? Have you been to some churches? And you think, man, I'm not sure that God's here. (laughs) Believers love God, but maybe haven't allowed God to shape them and form them in a way that creates a place where God can dwell. So, who are the tradies in God's kingdom? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And then beneath that, another layer of giftings, which Romans 12 talks about. And beneath that, another expression of God's grace that we can all participate in. So, we all collectively together build the house of God so that it becomes a place where God dwells. Amen? Prof- uh, uh, apostles have the plan of God in their, in their mind. The prophets have the two-way communication between head office and the building site. Um, evangelists are the ones that are getting the living stones and delivering them to the site. Um, the, the, the pastors are helping the living stones get on with each other because, you know, when you're... When you're so close together, sometimes you rub up and down against each other, right? And, uh, and the pastors help us get on with one another. Uh, and the teachers are the ones that are chiseling out the stones and shaping the stones so they fit in the wall in just the right way. And only when all of those trades are doing their job do you get a house that is built in a way that God can dwell in. Now, I love it, right? That's awesome. So God is building his temple and each one of us has a part to play. So when you say, ah, I'm not going to go to church this week or I might just have a break for a while. Come on, have a break for a while. Give you a break. (laughs) How do you have a break from God? Right? So, so important that you're part of the community because through you, his grace will flow and through you, the house will be shaped and when the house is shaped, God dwells. Amen. Amen. So, we've got some work to do. All right, here we go. Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Doesn't that give that new context, right, in the light of what we've been talking about, the temple of God, where two or three who are living stones, gather together, there God can dwell. It doesn't matter how big or how small, it's a place where God can dwell. The church, and if we can go to the next slide, the church is described by Paul and Jesus as the ecclesia. It's a Greek word, and everyone would have known what that meant at the time. To us, it's a little bit of a strange word, it's a Greek word. Uh, We don't hear it apart from maybe when we talk about ecclesiastic or something or other. But the ecclesia means the called out ones. And the Greeks used it for several hundred years before Jesus. What they would do is they would take um, members of the military who'd been serving for two years and they would call them out of the military and set them aside 
to go and conquer a city. The way they would do that is they would, of the ecclesia, they would call out members, members who they would then call the apostolos, the apostles, right? So they would get from the ecclesia, they'd pull out the apostles and then they would send them to a city and the apostles would stand at the gates of the city and say, surrender or we'll attack and conquer you. So if the city opened the gates, the ecclesia would walk in and set up camp in this walled city. If they didn't, the apostles would attack and conquer it. So the apostles were soldiers. They were people of war, right? Think of our intercessors. Think of our apostles, right? Think of our community. What are the walled cities, the walled, the, you know, the gates uh, that are locked to the gospel? What are the gates that are locked to the grace of God? What are the gates that are locked to the power and love of God? I mean, there are so many in our city. We're going to be praying for them shortly. So, so the ecclesia would be called out. The apostles would go. The city would open its gates one way or another. The ecclesia would move in and they would live as a community amongst that city. And then that city would get to look at, in, in Grecian terms, the, the superiority of the Greek way of life. The Romans also adopted this and they would do the same thing. And so they would send Romans into a city and then people would look at the superiority of the Roman way of life. So think about how God has called us. He's called us as the ecclesia. We are the called out ones. He has called us out of the kingdom of darkness to live in this world, to show what life is like under the grace and love of God. Amen? That's why our lives need to look different. That's why we have the fruit of the Spirit. That's why we have the gifts of the Spirit. So that the world can see that life as a believer and follower of Christ is different than those who are living in the kingdom of darkness. Yeah? Now, hopefully that challenges you every time you go to respond to something, like I often do, in the same way as everyone else. You get that little whisper of the Holy Spirit saying, no, not that way. There's a better way. Amen? Amen. We're the ecclesia. So the church is powerful. Uh, we're going to read Matthew. If you've got your, your Bibles here, sorry for not bringing you to your Bible sooner, or your eye device. We're going to read Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 to 19. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Amen. Amen. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Wow. So I've heard different versions of this and, and, uh, and people debating what the rock is that Jesus was going to build his church. Have we got the next slide? Some say it's Peter and that Peter is the, is the person that Jesus builds his church on. But actually it's the revelation about who Jesus is 
that is the truth that Jesus builds his church on. Amen? Amen. So it's a revelation about Jesus the Messiah. So when a follower of Christ has a full revelation of who Jesus is and what Jesus has accomplished through his life, his death and his resurrection, then we have a powerful believer on our hands, right? If you fully grasp that, right, there's power living and dwelling in you. When a Christian community grabs a full revelation of who Christ is and what he's done, then that's a powerful community. That's a community that can change its society. That's a church that can change its society. Amen? And that's what we aim to do. We aim to be salt and light and love and grace to this world. But he says not even the gates of Hades will overcome it. Now, if we go back to the story of the, or the, the, the image of the uh, Ecclesia and the Apostles, we can imagine the Apostles being sent to the gates of hell and saying, open your gates or we will conquer you. Amen. Amen. What are the areas of darkness in our community? What are the strongholds? What are the areas that are stealing people's life, killing them? John 10.10 says, The devil comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And we want to pray into that. 